Morning, everyone. Welcome to our first church history course seminar. I think it's going to be fun. So for the next 13 weeks, uh, Skylar Janest and I are actually going to team teach uh, this seminar for you. Hopefully um, something that we'll, you'll find both uh, encouraging and interesting. So let me pray for us as we get started. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the work that you have done over many years in the past. Um, Lord, we confess that we are a bit uh, uh, snobbish about history. We, want, we like our own period. We're not often all that interested in what happened thousands of years ago. It doesn't feel like it connects with us. It doesn't feel like it's relevant. Uh, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to see uh, the glory of your plan of salvation as it's been uh, worked in history, uh, that we might marvel at what you've done, that we might find encouragement in what our sisters who have gone before us have accomplished and, uh, and seen happen. And uh, Lord, may you be glorified in our study. So thank you for what you have given. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray for this all in, Jesus, in his name. Amen. Well, first of all, a couple of things to get you oriented to what we're going to be doing in the class. Um, so if you want to take out the, the outline, there's a couple of things that I want to note on it. Not so much today's uh, lesson, because that's pretty much the same as you've always seen. But go ahead and turn over to the back. Um, you'll see a few things there. First, you'll see a course outline, kind of give you an idea of what periods of history we'll be studying and when. I'll try to keep that on the back there. Sometimes I might have to move it if there's not room, but... Generally speaking, that's what we're going to be doing and how, and how we're going to be progressing from the early church until now. Um, the other thing you'll see there is a list of recommended resources, and I have a few of them here with me today. Um, so in terms of like overall um, histories of the church, there's a few that we have to recommend to you. So uh, Justo Gonzalez is, an easy re- is a fairly easy to read Book. This is. It is, looks a little intimidating because of how thick it is. It's actually two volumes in one. So uh, this looks a lot bigger than it really is if you just want to grab the first volume or something like that. So this is this is a quite a readable uh, text. I have not read the whole thing, but I've looked through it enough to know that it's fairly readable uh, and easy to digest. Um, uh, BJ actually recommended a couple of other ones to me. Uh, the story of Christianity. Oh, that's that's that one. Sorry. Uh, the introduction to, to the history of Christianity by Tim Dooley. He's the uh, editor. Uh, Bj said that one is an easy, a fairly easy read as well. And if you really want to dig into details, two thousand years of Christ's power. It's a four volume work. Bj said it's fantastic. So if you're looking to, if your if your appetite is wet by what we talked about here, uh, those would be some good just overall histories. Um, uh, that you could pull together or, or buy in order to be able to do some extra reading. Uh, for those of you who are feeling a little intimidated by reading something like that, I have this little book, which is Church History 101. Uh, it's a little easier to get to. There's a, just a few pages on every century of church history. So look at it as kind of a, an extended timeline, if you will. Uh, just a few pages, but still, still quite helpful and, uh, and quite encouraging to read as you're looking just for the highlights of church history. Last one that I'll recommend is something of a different book. It's not really a history book in its prime. It's really a book on doctrine. Uh, but Our Legacy is a book that I will reference at time to time when we're talking about doctrines. But what it does is it takes the major doctrines of the church, uh, so say the Trinity, 
but it traces it through history. So it'll tell you how it developed in the early years and then trace all the developments on, on how thought about the Trinity developed over different periods of time. So another good resource for those of you who are interested in just exploring a little bit more about church history, and it's, an easy, it's a fairly easy read as well. So, so, and then finally, the other thing that we're going to do in, a, in, a, in an effort to just help to crystallize some things is that we're going to have this little box on the back of your, of your outline where we're just going to have some highlights, um, highlights to remember from each period. And the idea is that for the people we talk about, the events we talk about, we're going to be talking about controversies a lot, doctrines, those are all going to come up. And we'll try to have two or three of the key ones listed there. So it's like if you're going to latch on to re- and try to remember something out of the, out of the class for that day, these would, be th- these would be ones that you would want to try to remember or at least be familiar with. So hopefully those tools will help orient you and kind of keep uh, things moving. Um, each week also, can you go to the next slide, Jared? Um, we're actually putting together a timeline. Hopefully that's, that's not quite as readable as I was hoping it would. But again, the idea is to orient you a little bit um, to where we are uh, in history. So we'll always have an orange box there that says this week's class. It'll just kind of give you a picture of the period of time that we're going to be covering. And how it, And I'll try to work on that a little bit to make it a little more readable on this screen uh, over the next week or so. But we'll, we'll keep moving that bar across so you can kind of get a sense for where we are uh, over, overall. So, so, why, so let's just go ahead and get started and just ask the question, why should we bother to do this course at all? I mean, does anybody really care about the past? Uh, we know that Jesus lived and died and rose again. Uh, it seems like enough for us as Christians. Um, but uh, this week in a weekly update email, B- BJ actually listed several reasons why studying church history is actually a good, not just a good, actually an important thing for us to do. And I'm going to condense those down into just two kind of subheadings, Right? Uh, God wants us to study our history so that we don't forget what he's done. And number two, God wants us to be equipped and strengthened for living life now. And actually, history can help us to do that. So let's think about um, God wanting us to study history so that we don't forget what he's done. In the Old Testament, God's people are reminded to remember his faithfulness to them in the past. Over and over and over again, he reminds them of his special covenant with them, his bringing them from Egypt... Uh, defeating their enemies time and again. Uh, We see that that the pattern is persistent. Uh, The Israelites did best when they remembered. And they always failed and they faltered when they forgot. And if you doubt this, just go back and read the book of Judges. Over and over and over again, the people remember, things go well, they forget, and things go poorly. And And that cycle is repeated over and over and over again through that book. And I think that is also true of the nation of Israel as a whole, and it's true for us. So therefore, because of that, God commanded them to build monuments and practice yearly ceremonies. He wanted them to remember what he did for them. Now, we don't build monuments anymore, but some of our local church practices, think baptism, think the Lord, they are designed to remind us of God's faithfulness and grace over and over and over and over again. We also need to see that God and his sovereignty is doing things that are greater and more significant than only what he's doing now and in this place. By the gospel, we have been adopted into a family that spans races, cultures, borders, and time. 
And so it profits us to refresh our family history. Church history should provide us plenty of examples of our brothers and sisters from all walks of life and from a variety of contexts who labored to bring their faith to bear upon the world in which they lived. Now this doesn't mean that you need to enjoy researching old documents in musty archives or reading the latest historical textbook. It simply means that Christianity isn't a religion of abstraction or speculative philosophy, but it's a religion of historical fact. It is, among other things, a message about events that took place in time and space. Christianity certainly teaches eternal truths, the existence of God, his attributes, the glories of heaven, the Trinity, etc. But these realities are pressed in upon us through the historical events of Jesus' incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, the Christian must be personally involved with history, and we should make a, a habit of remembering our past. And the second reason that I, was, that I was identifying is that God wants us to be equipped and strengthened for living life now. And I'm contending that history can actually help us to do that. Ecclesiastes reminds us in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, that there is nothing new under the sun. And as we'll undoubtedly see in, the course of, uh, in this course, many of the same disagreements and heresies will be repeated over and over and over again. We'll also see that each age... And region has its own passing fads that ultimately prove unhelpful. And a student of history is well equipped to address these problems and provide clear responses to the recurrence of heresy or to the latest fad that's not going to be helpful. As the saying goes, he who does not know history is doomed to repeat it. We're also strengthened by hearing how our brothers and sisters live the Christian life. I mean, who here has not been encouraged when you hear the personal testimony, maybe at a baptism, of how God is at work with someone? Or maybe in our you hear about how God is working through uh, a circumstance or where we pray for one another to make it through circumstances. And those are encouraging times. And in many ways, church history is a collection of those stories. So take out your handout and look at the top of the front page. There's a quote there from a letter that Polycarp wrote. Now, Polycarp pretty much 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's, a, it's from a letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. And as I read that, I was just encouraged. And that was written nearly 2,000 years ago. So if we can be encouraged by one another, and certainly be encouraged by our brothers and sisters from the past. So I pray that this course will serve as a source of humility for us to remind ourselves that we don't exist in a bubble of our current circumstance, but we can learn great things from, uh, from remembering those who have come in the past. And I pray that we're encouraged by the boldness and sacrifice of our brothers and sisters. May their examples serve as reminders to us of the gospel. Now, time is not going to permit for us to tell all of the stories all over the world. So I'm, I'm going to help you see we're going to be a little bit narrower in our, in our focus here. We're going to talk about um, all the things that lead up to our particular stream of history. So we're going to be looking at a big funnel as we go all the way to back to the, to the early church. And then as we come forward in time, we're going to be kind of narrowing more and more in on where we and the particular historical and theological uh, traditions that, that have influenced our church in particular. So, and just remember, if what we talk about here whets your appetite, um, then go ahead and buy some of those resources. You'll be blessed by them. So, what, so now what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the beginning. So look, if you look at our timeline, right, we're going to be focusing right on the early, early parts of, the, of our history here. And what I'm going to be doing today is setting out some context. Really, that's the majority of the, the, the history that I'm going to cover. 
is not so much the internal workings of how the church developed. Schuyler is going to be covering that next week. But I'm going to be talking about that same period of history, but what, was, what were the external influences on the establishment of the church? So what is the context of early Christianity? Uh, the context, the church didn't just pop out of nowhere, right? It had a context that it grew out of, um, and so we're going to look at that. First of all, I want to think about a little bit the word Pentecost. So this is a little bit before our, our, uh, our timeline starts. At the end of December... We finished our sermon series in Ezra and and time-wise, that placed us right around 400 B.C. And those are the the final events in the Old Testament. From there, we have a a period of silence where God God didn't say much until the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, But there are some things that are important for church history that happened during that time frame. Two things in particular. You had the establishment of the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great in the 300s. That brought in the, the Greek language would be the common language that was spoken at the time of Christ in, in the general culture. Uh, and the second thing you have is the, the establishment of the Roman Empire as a world power. That happened right around in the 200s BC. Um, and that solidified itself into a 200-year stretch known as the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace, where there was literal international warfare, which cleared, which cleared the path for the spread of the gospel. And that started just a couple of decades before Jesus was born. So that's the overall kind of world stage leading up to where we start our story. Now, Christianity itself, as it emerged, was an outgrowth of Judaism. And the Christians uh, of that time were very aware of their, their roots in that ancient religion. They believed the same set of scriptures, worshipped the same God, Yahweh, uh, who, they, who we all believe created the world. And Jesus grew up in a Jewish family. He was unmistakably Jewish in his teachings and practice. And many of the earliest Christians still worshipped in the temple or in the, or in the synagogues. They kept the Jewish Sabbath, and they thought, of, uh, they thought of themselves as good Jews who just believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, for a time, Christianity existed in relative peace under Rome. This is because it was viewed as a sect of Judaism, and Judaism already had official protection within the, within the empire. And it was a recognized religion there. However, we see, as we see in the book of Acts, followers of Jesus, as they were called, ran into significant opposition from the, with the Jewish establishment during that time. So it wasn't without its challenges, but overall there was, there was peace for, for the, the, initial, um, the initial spread. AD 70 uh, is probably the first real major event, turning point, historical event in church history. And that's because that's when the, the, the Romans destroyed the, the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and at that point in time is where you really start to see the church and the Jewish faith start to separate and become distinct from one another because they were forced to because the temple practice was no longer there to be had, and so you started to see that, that split happening right around A.D. 70. Um, and the church was forced out of that protective umbrella. That brings us to the, the Roman Empire at the time of the early church. So if you want to switch over to the next slide... Uh, so here we have a map of the, the Roman Empire at the time, in the early centuries of the church. You can see the, the overall extent of the empire. Jesus was born into a land governed by Rome, and through the first couple of centuries, uh, Roman emperors extended their rule over a vast realm, stretched from Britain in the north to, to the Sahara Desert in the south, and from Spain to Iraq, modern-day Iraq. 
The empire was about 3,000 miles from east to west, which, to give you an idea, it's about the, it's about the same width as the United States. So um, historians estimate that it contained about 50 million people. Uh, by the beginning of the second century, Rome was the lone su- world superpower. There was nobody else to challenge them and was in the middle of the Pax Romana. So in the middle, in the middle of this 200 year of, of peace. Um, and though Rome had no external rivals, it did have lots of internal issues. So Jesus was born into the Roman Empire experiencing considerable turmoil internally. Local rebellions almost continually broke out against Roman rule, particularly among the Jews. In fact, that's some, if you look at some of the, the accusations against Jesus, it was concerned that he was going to be one of these zealots who was just stirring up trouble with Rome and that Rome was going to come down and squash the rebellion. That, had, that kind of stuff was happening all over the Roman Empire at this time. Um, so they were all, Rome was always vigilant to maintain their authority, and so that's why Roman leaders kept a constant watch on threats in order to be able to maintain control. Uh, the empire's official state religion involved worshiping a pantheon of capricious deities. They just kind of did what they wanted. They governed the forces of nature. They made trouble for man if, if man made trouble for them. So when they would conquer a new land, Rome usually just took the local gods that were there and just added them to the list. And that's what they wanted. They wanted you to worship. Anything that was in the list was good. Um, As the empire grew in authority and prominence, though, more and more and more, the official cult became the worship of the emperor himself. So that's really where it started to focus. Um, And in in the early church, that's what what the the Romans wanted, was them to express worship for for the emperor. The goal of all religious devotion in the eyes of Roman authorities was to maintain civic unity uh, and to attain divine favor. Um, And we'll we'll come back around to that in a few minutes here. Um, Outside of the the influence of the Roman Empire in particular, uh, you had new philosophies and schools of thought that were contributing to popular religions in in local areas. Um, And there's an overall religious atmosphere that hadn't been seen in 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 the empire for some time. So these were coming out of the Greek tradition, a lot of them. Uh, many religions besides Christianity started during this time and usually ended because they just were not long-lived. Um, the Hellenistic or Greek philosophies and so-called mystery religions were widespread in the 3rd century especially uh, among those who were searching for answers that were more intellectually and spiritually satisfying than just worshiping the emperor. Right? So... Uh, that kind of gives you a sense for what the overall world kind of stage questions there, things that um, made you say, huh? All right. Well, keep, if you have questions, we should have a little bit of time at the end. So now, we, yeah, go ahead. Uh, could you maybe just, to help us think about it in terms of our context, like compare and contrast that to us now in the Western world in the 21st century? Yeah, I mean, so... The, in the Western world today, we have a lot of we, we actually have a lot of similar things going on. Um, so, so think about in the United States the fact that you've got the the New Age religions that are uh, in in a lot of ways like these mystery religions that were coming up. You have you know uh, this New Age philosophy with crystals over here, and you've got something else going on over here that's got a slightly different flavor. And everybody's everybody's kind of looking for something that's spiritual 
Actually, this is the turn of phrase you'll see all the time now. Spiritual but not religious, right? And you have all these philosophies that are coming about. So um, there is a lot of similarities, actually, I think, between what you saw in the first church and what you see here. Now, we're, our overall um, uh, culture is, probably, is considerably more secular than what would have been happening then because the overall culture there was still the Roman pantheon and worshiping the Roman gods and worshiping the emperor, right? And that was definitely seen as a religious exercise, whereas now secularism would be kind of the, the truly dominant thing that's going on with all of these people saying, I want something more than that, looking for stuff in the, in the spiritual but not religious category. So that's the way I would answer that question. Good. All right, so let's turn the corner a little bit and let's talk about what, you know, what did the, the expansion of the church look like into this context? So the Roman Empire was the setting for most of the, this initial expansion of Christianity. Uh, you see, some of them got outside the Roman Empire, but not very much. We see in the book of Acts, the Christian gospel spreading from Jerusalem outward through the eastern Mediterranean, ending up at the book of, uh, in the, uh, sorry, ending at the end, end of the book of Romans in Rome in the early 60s. So, uh, that's where Paul was in Rome, was in the early 60s A.D. About 100 years later, so roughly 150-ish, we have reports of Christians scattered throughout the empire, including in every Roman in the eastern part of the Mediterranean, all across North Africa, and even reaching up into modern-day France. Christians also spread beyond the empire into India and perhaps as far south in Africa as Ethiopia. One intrepid writer would even write to the emperor in, in 150 AD. He said this, he said, We Christians have filled all that belongs to you. The cities, the fortresses, the free towns, the very camps, the palace, the senate, the forum. We leave empty only the pagan temples. So that was 150. So you know, we're, we're seeing a significant, in 100 years, massive spread of the gospel throughout the empire. The people, people from all walks of life embraced the new faith, although most early Christians lived in urban areas uh, and were mostly middle class, um, though people from lower and upper classes believed as well. Uh, many were of a Hellenized Jewish background, so that's a Greek-influenced Jewish background, though converts came from all manners of ethnic and, and religious origins as well. Uh, the message of, Je- of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection came at a time when conditions for, were ripe for rapid spread uh, throughout uh, the, uh, and integration throughout the Roman culture of the time. I had mentioned earlier Alexander the Great. His conquests, uh, with his conquests, Greek had become the unifying language of the Mediterranean. It was the English of the day. Uh, barriers of language then really didn't exist. Um, and the message of Christ moved rapidly by word of mouth and written literature. Not only that, because the Jews had been dispersed throughout the empire, we find Paul going straight to all the Jewish synagogues as a way of getting into the, into the various communities quickly. Uh, he did, did that in every city he visited uh, in order to proclaim the message of the risen Christ. Uh, the infrastructure in the empire was unprecedented. Uh, never before in the history of the world had there been the, the, if you will, the technology that the Romans had in the form of things like roads that crisscrossed the land, making travel easy. The government protected travelers from bandits and other perils. Uh, the empire had carved out extensive trade routes, both inside of its borders and outside, with other, with other uh, countries in the area. 
um, provided a, a useful inlet from, uh, to those countries from Rome uh, for the gospel. Uh, quite apart from, this, it, uh, from its intentions, even Rome's periodic persecutions of the Christians often aided in the spread of the gospel. Um, as we read in Acts 8, 1 through 4, uh, when Jewish persecution broke out against the Christians in Jerusalem, they were scattered abroad throughout the region, taking the news of Christ with them. That's the context of our, ser- our sermon series right now in James, is that that disbursement has happened, and now we're talking in our sermons about, what, about some of the details of what was going on there. But the question still remains, is that why did people become Christians? I mean, sure, you had all this stuff going on, but what was it about the gospel? In a theological sense, we know that salvation is a sovereign act of divine grace, but from a human perspective, we can stretch our imaginations to consider how this strange new faith first appeared and attracted new believers. Uh, Take this with a bit of a grain of salt. It's based on mostly on tradition um, and just what we've been able to derive from the first and second centuries. But first, Christianity, uh, uh, Christian charity had great appeal. Christians became known and admired for their kindness, hospitality, and generosity to those in need. Uh, A second reason might have been that in contrast with the rigid social hierarchy of the Roman Empire, Christians valued personal equality and modeled a community that broke down social social barriers instead of of erecting them. Uh, Third, Christians valued all persons individually. Rome placed a premium on civic unity making the individual person subordinate to the imperial cult, whereas Christianity affirmed the dignity and worth of each individual human being. Uh, A fourth reason uh, might have been Christianity promised the power of good over evil. Many Romans believed in evil spirits, and this new faith seemed to offer protection against the demonic. Related to this, a fifth reason for Christianity was the promise of deliverance from death and eternal life. Um... And finally, as persecution uh, intensified, the bold and faithful witness of many believers facing torture and death could not be ignored. Some of this faith must be real. Uh, why else would these Christians die so willingly in order to defend it? So most of the rest of our time here is going to be focused on these persecutions that I mentioned a minute ago. Um, because they, they really do form the context of a lot of the first couple of centuries of the church. Uh, the growth that's often that often occurred in the midst of, uh, growth often occurred in the midst of tremendous suffering. Through the first three hundred years of Christian history, numerous persecutions broke out against Christians, and these often led to de- uh, led to their deaths. These persecutions were not necessarily empire wide or from the top down. Most of them were actually local, uh, pressed in by provincial officials. Uh, they were severe, however, and thousands of Christians were tortured and put to death in horrific and cruel ways. Uh, we see this in the New Testament, of course. Can you go to the next slide? This is, this is a, a, a likeness of Peter and Paul that was found on the, catac- on the catacombs in Rome. Uh, so if you ever wonder what they look like, it was something similar to this. <laughs> um, from Stephen's martyrdom to Peter and Paul's impris- imprisonments, even Peter's exhortations in his first epistle addressed to believers suffering under Nero's uh, persecution in the 60s. Uh, for virtually all of the apostles, Persecution was more a rule than the, the exception. Many of these accounts would maybe, may well be true. However, 
they should be treated with some skepticism as by the second century, churches in different cities began claiming apostolic origin and they wanted a martyred apostle to be their founder. So there's lots of stories about where somebody died and how somebody died, but we have sources that have tried to pull this information together. Um, with that in mind, consider the fate of the apostles. And I have these kind of written in your notes. Who are the, uh, are the peop- are people you know wonder if Jesus was a hoax just consider that those who knew him best were willing to die for who they believed he was. Can you go to the next slide, Jared? Um, this will give a, a picture version of, of the stuff that we're going to go over right now. Paul was imprisoned under Nero and then beheaded in Rome. James, the brother of John, was beheaded in Herod. We see that in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Thomas went away as far as India, and he was apparently slain with a dart or an arrow. Uh, Simon Peter was crucified upside down in Rome by Nero. Uh, Simon the Zealot preached throughout Africa. He was also crucified. Mark founded the church in Egypt, and he was burned alive. Bartholomew preached in Armenia, that upper corner, upper corner up there. And after diverse persecutions, he was beaten down with staves, then crucified, and then after that was beheaded. Uh, Andrew, uh, uh, Andrew evangelized in Ethiopia and was crucified. Matthew preached in Egypt and Ethiopia until the king had him run through with a spear. Philip ministered in Greece and was crucified and stoned to death. I'm not sure how you do both of those, but he was crucified and stoned to death. James, the brother of Jesus, was beaten to death by Pharisees and Sadducees. And the apostle John was exiled to the isle, on the Isle of Patmos and was the only one to have died of natural causes, as far as we know. Much of the persecution in these early centuries was not universal, like I said. It was more typically local. So things like brushes with the law, disgruntled neighbors, uh, struggles with local local pagan religions. Um, That being said, the Roman emperors were not the friends of, of of the faith during this period of time. No less than seven of them presided over specific persecutions of Christ. And that's what we're going to go through now. Can you go to the next slide, Jared? An early and well-known persecution broke out under Emperor Nero. In tremendous fire engulfed the city of Rome. Many people in the city, probably with good cause, blamed Nero for the tragedy. Uh, The Roman Tacitus writes of the emperor's response. To kill the rumors, Nero charged and tortured some people he hated for for their evil, evil practices. A group properly called Christians, the founder of this sect, Christus, had been put to death by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, when Tiberius was emperor. First, those those who confessed to being Christians were arrested, and on the basis of their testimony, a great number were condemned, though not so much for the fire itself as for their hatred of humankind. Before killing the Christians, Nero used them to amuse the people. Some were dressed in furs to be killed by dogs, Others were crucified. Still others were set on the fire early in the night so that they might illumine it. Nero opened his own gardens for these shows. Nero seems to have persecuted Christians primarily for three reasons. First was his desperate desire to distract attention from the great fire. Uh, But widespread hostility towards Christians because they did not worship the Roman gods also existed, and that was likely a reason. Um, and the, also there was the hostility of the Jews against the Christians, so they, they were advocating for, for persecution as well. Many Romans perceived Christians as atheists and anarchists for their refusal to worship the pagan deities or the emperor. 
Such obstinacy uh, enraged the Romans. The deities, they thought, would bring natural disasters, drought and disease, and retribution for the large section of the population who refused to worship them. Hence the charge of hatred. It seemed like a strange charge at first, but that's really where it comes from. Can you switch to the next? Um, Tertullian, a, uh, a church leader at the time, wrote that any time a natural disaster occurred, whether a flood or a drought, the cry would immediately go up, the Christians to the lions. Other misunderstandings of Christian practice led to even wilder accusations against them. Christians talked of love, and husbands and wives referred themselves to as brothers and sisters in Christ. So they're sometimes accused of insult. Um, and then there was the Christian of the Lord's Supper, which gave rise to numerous accusations of cannibalism. From the very beginning, Christian belief and practice has chafed against the larger culture. Should it be any different when we say things like, marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life, or there is only such things as boys and girls? As to Nero, political rivals deposed him four years later, and, that, and the disgraced tyrant uh, took his own life. It was just two years after that, in A.D. 70, that Roman forces, in the process of quelling a a Jewish rebellion, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Um, And tragic though it was, it was one of the Christian uh, turning points in in church history uh, because it provided that final break from Judaism and Christianity so that they became separate. The next slide, please, Jared. Um, There was a, a short time of peace in there, but then under Emperor Trajan... Um, in around AD 98, uh, persecution would return. Trajan locked, launched a campaign against the church that would last for almost two decades. Uh, in correspondence between the governor of the province of Bithynia, his name was Pliny, uh, Pliny the Younger, and the, and the emperor Trajan, Pliny asked if, there were, if it were the mere mention of the name of Christian that merited punishment or only the activities associated with the religion that should be punished. Uh, Trajan replied that Christians should be punished only if they refuse to recant their faith and worship our gods. So, that, you know, it's not switching back to the Roman gods. If they do recant, they are to be sent free. Here's, here was uh, the way Pliny himself described his practice. Of course, I have adopted. I ask them if they are Christian. If they admit it, I repeat the question a second and a third time, threatening capital punishment. If they persist... I sentence them to death, for their inflexible obstinacy should certainly be punished. Christians who are Roman citizens, I reserve to be sent to Rome. I discharge those who are willing to curse Christ, a thing which it is said genuine Christians cannot be persuaded to do. Some professing Christians did indeed renounce Christ, and the church would suffer for centuries over over questions regarding apostates, or the lapsed, who requested readmission to the church once persecution had subsided. Another period of relative tranquility and growth came from about uh, 125 until the reign of Marcus Aurelius, next slide, Jared, uh, in uh, about 160. Uh, He triggered a new campaign of persecution. Many Christians were martyred during these years, including the eminent church leaders such as Polycarp. Eusebius records uh, that when the proconsul ordered Polycarp Polycarp to curse Christ, his response came back like this. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Jared. For 86 years, replied Polycarp, I have been his servant, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I have wild beasts, said the consul. I shall throw you to them if you don't change your attitude. Call them, replied the old man. 
If you make light of the beast, retorted the governor, I will have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. Polycarp answered, the fire you threaten burns for a time and and is soon extinguished. There is a fire you know nothing about, the fire of judgment to come and of eternal punishment, the fire reserved for the ungodly. But why do you hesitate? Do what you want. The proconsul was amazed and set the crier to stand in the middle of the arena, announced three times, Polycarp has confessed that he's a Christian. Then a shout went up from every throat that Polycarp must be burned alive. The rest followed in less time than it takes to describe. The crowds rushed to collect logs. When the pyre was ready, Polycarp prayed, O Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, I bless thee for counting me worthy of this day and hour, that in the, that in the number of martyrs I may partake of Christ's cup, to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body. And when they'd offered up the amen and, com- and, complimented the, his, and completed his prayer, the men in charge lit the fire and a great fire up. Following this season of trial, Perse- uh, Christians enjoyed another two decades of relative peace as faith continued to grow out throughout the empire. But from about 197 to 212 or so, more persecutions broke out These ones were more general in nature. Lynchings in Alexandria, mob attacks in Rome, judicial executions in Carthage. Uh, Believers found their their faith severely tested. I'll go ahead and go to the next slide. Under Decius, uh, uh, well actually I should say the persecution then kind of went away until about uh, 235. So it was a couple of decades of peace. And then it began to grow again. Uh, Conditions became very severe in 250 when the new emperor Decius throne and desired to restore Rome to his earlier glory. Uh, So in order to promote civic unity, he mandated that all citizens engage in public sacrifices to Roman gods. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Jared. Those who complied were were granted what were called labelli or certificates, proving that they had performed the required rites. This would be an example of of something similar. Um, Those who refused were considered treasonous and punished severely. Some Christians avoided the sacrifices and still acquired certificates from greedy, greedy officials who were uh, willing to accept a bribe. Um, many apostatized and denied their faith. Others fled into exile. Some believers resisted and were executed, but the church had grown complacent and was ill-prepared to handle this persecution. Many of those who still profess faith divided and turned against each other in disputes over whose faith was genuine and whose was compromised. By 251 AD, one historian writes that all over the Mediterranean, Christianity lay seemingly in ruins. This should caution us against romanticizing persecution or thinking that it always strengthens and grows the church. It certainly has that power, but under Decius, persecution almost succeeded in destroying the church. But before he could carry out his extermination any further, Decius died in battle and the persecution abated for a few short years. Go ahead and switch to the next slide, Jared. Um, by, uh, in 257, the emperor Valerian uh, came to power and initiated a new attempt to stamp out the church. He gave detailed instructions that bishops, presbyters, and deacons were to be punished immediately by death, while Roman senators and military offic- officers who were Christians were to lose their dignity and property. Uh, and civil servants who were Christians were to be made slaves and sent in chains to labor on imperial estates. Uh, some believe this persecution was longer lasting and resulted in more deaths than any previous persecution so far. Valerian was taken prisoner by the Persians in 260, and his son permitted relative religious freedom, so, uh, that, so that it for a time. 
and the church enjoyed freedom for about the next 40 years while his son reigned. During this time, the the church spread and grew and pervaded all levels of Roman society and spread throughout North Africa, Egypt, Syria, and Armenia. Christianity had attained such prominence by the year uh, 300 that a historian from the time friend writes, the question had become on what terms church and empire could cooperate and whether a settlement would come peacefully or after one final bloody encounter. On February 23rd, uh, 303, the emperor Diocletian, go to the next slide, Jared, uh, gave his awful answer. Hoping to impose a uniform order on the empire of customs, military, currency, and religion, on on that day he issued an edict designed to end the Christian menace to imperial unity. Initially, Christians were not to be put to death, but rather just imprisoned or enslaved, and churches were destroyed, and the scriptures were burned. But the next year, Diocletian fell ill, and, and Galerius took over and ordered all incompliant Christians to be executed. Blood flowed freely as many Christians suffered martyrdom during this time. It was known as the Great Persecution. The Lord preserved his church, however, and in 311, Galerius recanted. He admitted failure to extinguish Christianity <clears throat> uh, because too many Christians refused to obey him and remained faithful. He issued an edict saying, let the Christians once more exist and rebuild their churches and pray to their God for our well-being, for that of the state, and for themselves. More importantly, Christians by their persistence, their good works, and love, and their sheer numbers had increasingly grown to be tolerated by the masses throughout the Roman Empire. The next two years brought sporadic outbreaks of persecution until Constantine. Go ahead and go to the the next slide, Jared. Uh, So Constantine the Great came to power in 313, and he declared an empire-wide policy of tolerance for Christianity. And so for its first three centuries, the church had survived some of the most severe opposition imaginable. But now the church was going to have to face a different question. Would it be able to survive acceptance? And we're going to take up that question in a couple weeks. Like I mentioned before, next week is Schuyler's action to kind of go back and reverse the tape. And we'll go through the same period of history again, except this time we'll look at it from the perspective of what was happening inside the church and how the, how the church and how the people inside actually responded rather than the outside uh, kind of context. So the story of the church in this period helps us to see something that's important, I think. It helps us to see what the command to be in the world but not of the world really looks like. The early Christian church lived in such a way that the surrounding culture certainly noticed them. But they refused to conform and instead were faithful to the gospel. And my hope and prayer is that we will look at these stories and see that we can be the same salt and light to our culture, which, as BJ helped us to see a minute ago, is not really all that different in certain significant ways. So may we uh, be that same influence on our culture. So any questions that, were, that come to your minds about the, about the persecutions or uh, some of the things that happened during this period of history? I'll do my best to answer. Hey, Martin. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of things that, that made it, and I only listed a few of the things that about that about that time that made it easy for the gospel. Yeah, Sarah. 
Uh, good question. I think uh, certainly if you go back into the, into the earlier 20th century, you could probably say that. I'm not so sure that you could say that as much now in terms of what right now. So I think that we're probably entering into a time when, and by the way, what Sarah's referring to is that Roman culture was actually extremely decadent, uh, especially as you're getting to the later Roman Empire. I mean, homosexuality was common, um, you know, all kinds, I mean, obviously you had all kinds of things that were connected to pagan religion that would be considered immoral according to Christian standards, all that kind of stuff. So that's what Sarah's referring to. And uh, uh, if you go back into the early 20th century, where you had, you know, the ninth, you know, World War One, World War Two, and the context coming out of the Elizabethan era, where Christianity had had seen a, a bit of a resurgence, stuff like that. Um, certainly, I think you could make that argument there. I think that's becoming less so today, even though there is still something of a Christian cultural memory to be seen, and uh, and that is undergirding things. But I mean, just look at the the prominence of of homosexuality, uh, the you know the the drive towards abortion, all those things that are that would be that actually have a lot of commonalities with with Roman culture at the time. Yeah, good question. All right, well, that's probably about all we have time for. Let me close for us in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are um, once again uh, wanting to be influenced and taught by the stories of our of our history. Um, Lord, we thank you for these early Christians who did stand under great persecution. Um, persecution that we have no context for and no real uh, experience of. Not to say that our, con- our persecution is not significant to us, but it is of a different kind and different nature than what these men and women suffered. And we thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for the work of the Spirit in their lives to cause them to stand firm for the, for the gospel so that we might actually have the gospel here in our day. There is a line of historical uh, connection that goes straight from them to us. And... Uh, Lord, let us rejoice as we continue to explore these stories. So we thank you for our time. We thank you for the service that we're about to have. uh, And we pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, everyone.